Focus your heart on the hope of the resurrection with Dr. David Jeremiah's classic book called Season of Hope, a celebration of Easter. You'll receive this timeless work when you make a donation of any amount to Turning Point. And when you give $100 or more, you'll receive a special four-pack so you can share Season of Hope with friends who need encouragement. Request your books and learn more when you visit davidjeremiah.ca. Living a virtuous life means more than just hoping to please God. It means living in a way that truly honors Him. How do you do that? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares some practical biblical tools to help you build virtue into every step of your Christian walk. As he continues the series, Everything You Need, here's David with the conclusion of his message, Moral Excellence. Hey friends, do you have the study guide for this series? You can get that from davidjeremiah.org. It will take you through every lesson, give you all the points of every lesson, summarize those points. It will give you the scripture from which the point has been derived, and it will ask you applicational questions that will help you internalize the truth. The study guides are great, and they're wonderful for small groups. You can get the study guide for everything you need by going to our website, which is davidjeremiah.org. And the book that we have for you during the month of February is a very special publication, and it's right, I mean, it's you can almost smell the ink on this one. It's brand new. And uh, just just came off the press. It's by Rob Morgan, and it's called The Mediterranean Sea Rules. It's about the storm that took place uh, when Paul had a shipload of people. It's recorded in the book of Acts. All of the lessons on leadership, but most of all, important lessons on how you get through your storm. And everybody has a storm or two. I've had mine. You have yours. This little book will be a real blessing and encouragement to you, as Rob Morgan's books always are. We're so happy to be in partnership with him on this, and we want you to have this book as your very own. Send your gift to Turning Point during the month of February, and when you do so, ask for The Mediterranean Sea Rules by Robert J. Morgan. And now let's talk about moral excellence one more time. The Bible gives us really careful instructions, and I want to take you now to a passage just for a few moments that kind of details some of the things that call to us to be virtuous. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 and 2. And if you have your Bibles, you can follow, but I'm going to read them. We urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Now Paul wrote these words to the Thessalonian believers And he is saying to them, you heard what we talked to you about and how you ought to walk and please God. And then the next verse tells us some of the ways we can do that. So listen to 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4. This is the will of God. How do you please God? Well, here it is. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Now it gets really hard here. That you should abstain from sexual immorality that each of you should know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't talk about the biblical quality of virtue without dealing with moral and sexual purity. When you diligently add to your faith virtue, that includes incorporating God's model for your sexual conduct. 
In other words, it does matter if you're a Christian whether you are living a morally clean life. It does matter. You will not hear God look down on your life if you're living with somebody you're not married to or involved in some sort of relationship that's not pleasing to God. He's not going to say, I'm well pleased. I'm not going to do that. You've got to follow the rules. And there are some rules, are there not? And you know what? It's not, I didn't make them. God made them. And since he's the creator of the earth, he has the right to make any rules he wants. And let me tell you what I've discovered. Whatever rules God makes, they're for our good, for his glory and for our good. He doesn't tell us not to do something or to do something unless it's for our benefit. So let's talk about this for just a few moments. I read a book by Randy Alcorn, who's a friend of mine. He wrote in his book about a man named Eric. Eric came to see him one day, and Eric flopped down into a chair and said, I'm really mad at God. Randy was surprised because he knew Eric grew up in a Christian home, married a Christian girl. And he asked Eric why he was mad at God. And Eric said, because last week I committed adultery. Randy absorbed that, and then he asked, I can see why God might be mad at you, but why are you mad at God? (laughs) And Eric answered, listen to this, that for several months he had battled a strong mutual attraction with a woman at work, and he had prayed that God would keep him from immorality. But Eric gave in, and now he was furious with God for letting him yield to temptation. So I'm going to show you what my friend Randy Alcorn did. I think I can do this here. He asked this young man if he had asked his wife to pray for him during this time of temptation. And he had not done that. He asked him if he'd taken any definite steps to avoid this woman. And of course he hadn't. So there was this big book lying on the desk where they were talking. And I'm going to use my Bible and it's not disrespectful. So watch this. Randy took his hand and he started pushing this book across the desk as Eric watched. The book came closer and closer to the edge And Randy prayed aloud, Oh, Lord, please keep the book from falling. But as he kept pushing the book, and God did not suspend the laws of gravity, the book fell to the floor with a loud crash. Randy looked at Eric and he said, I'm mad at God. I asked him to keep my book from falling, but he let me down. Every day, Christian men and women forfeit future happiness for the sake of temporary sexual activity. Randy wrote, with every little glance that fuels our lust, we push ourselves closer and closer to the edge, and sooner or later, gravity takes over and brings us crashing down in defeat. How can you stay away from that? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But let me just tell you, It's one of the biggest problems we have in the church today. The standards that used to mark what it meant to be Christian when it comes to sexuality have been so blurred by the culture in which we live that a lot of Christians have found a way to justify not living according to the standards of God. And I've actually read books that actually have given permission for this under the guise that it's okay by the Bible. But it's not okay. The Bible says God forgives all of our sins. He does. But he also goes out of his way to point out that sins against the body are especially offensive to him. And there's a lot of reasons for that that we could talk about. But rather than going into why people fail and why it happens and what's going on in your church and my church and around the world, let me just give you five things 
that I think might be helpful to all of us just to put down in our little notebook. Here's how you deal with this issue which is so pressing in our culture today. And this even extends to pornography and other things that are involved in this whole discussion. So here are my five things. Number one, fill your hearts with Jesus. And you say, oh, well, that's probably one I would have expected. Fill your hearts with Jesus. Make it the greatest ambition of your life to please God. If you're inflamed with that motivation, it's much harder to fall into sin. To overcome sin and temptation, fill your heart with Jesus. God made you. He loves you. He sent Christ to die for you. He wants a daily relationship with you. He wants to bless you. He has a purpose for your life, which is greater than anything you can imagine. He's built a home for you in heaven. Why would you not want to please him more than anything else in the world? Believe me, that motivation is your greatest path to holiness. Fall in love with Jesus so much that you'd never want to do anything to hurt him. I remember when The Passion of the Christ came out. Do you remember that movie that came out? Such an amazing film. I had no idea what I was getting into, but that film just, you know, if you saw it, it broke my heart. I cried through half of it, and, and I'll tell you what I remember, and this is special to this moment. I remember praying that night on the way home, Lord, I can't believe what you did for me. Help me, help me, Lord, never to do anything to hurt your heart. What a prayer that is for all of us. Pray that God would help you never to do anything to hurt his heart, to hurt the heart of his son, the Lord Jesus. I mean, if that's not the great motivation for living a holy life, I don't know what is. It's not about the do's and the don'ts and this is not right and that's not right. What it is, it's about your love for God. It's about your desire to do that which pleases God and brings joy to his heart so that he can look down at you and say, this is my beloved son and I'm well pleased in him. That doesn't mean you won't have temptation. It doesn't mean you won't have struggles. But if you fall in love with Jesus and you make him your great love, that will overcome so much of what goes on in the world today. Number two, fill your mind with scripture. I'm going to give you a little science lesson here. Do you know what the Archimedes principle is? According to historical tradition, there was this ancient king who asked the famous Greek scientist inventor Archimedes to determine if the local goldsmith had deceitfully included materials other than gold in his golden royal crown. Well, Archimedes couldn't figure out how to do this, but he came up with this idea that gold weighs a certain amount. So one day he was taking a bath, and he submerged himself in the tub, and water overflowed into the floor. Archimedes realized that any object immersed in a fluid is acted upon by an upward force equal to the weight of the fluid displaced by the object. In other words, the principle of displacement. That gave him the formula for resolving the question about the crown, and you can figure that out later. In spiritual terms, what this means is this. When you take the Bible and you submerge it into your brain, it has a way of displacing other thoughts, and this pleases God. One way of accomplishing this submersion is by meditating on passages, like the one in 1 Thessalonians 4. Here's what you know if you know anything, that no... Two objects can occupy the same space. So, you know, I hear people say, well, I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to start in the bed. I'm not going to think these thoughts. I'm not going to think these thoughts. I'm... And you know what happens when you do that? You think of way more than you ever thought you would, more than you did the day before. You don't replace evil thoughts by determining not to think evil thoughts. 
You replace evil thoughts by filling your mind with the scripture. And as you begin to do that, it pushes the evil thoughts out. It's the Archimedes principle in spiritual terms. And it works. But you've got to work at it. You've got to determine that that's what you're going to do. Here's the third thing. And this is really interesting. Fill your routines with rules. People don't like rules anymore. Did you know that? Have you noticed that? I mean, what, they got all kinds of names for people that have rules. But you know, the Bible's filled with rules. Not all of them are easy to follow. But as I said before, they're all for our good and for God's glory. Somebody will say, well, I don't want rules. That'll make me a legalist. Hmm. But without rules, no classroom could operate. No city streets would work. I'd hate to be in New York City in Times Square if there weren't any rules. It seems like it's that way most of the time anyway. <laughs> but if you're down there and there's no lights and there's no rules and there's no policemen, can you imagine the chaos? If everything and everyone else in the world needs some rules, don't you think we might need some too? Early in his ministry, after seeing a number of prominent evangelists fall into sexual sin, Dr. Billy Graham decided he would never be left alone with a woman who was not his wife. The decision became known as the Billy Graham rule. That's true. He was not only protecting himself against temptation, he was protecting himself against the possibility of untrue statements or slanderous accusations. The Billy Graham rule is a rule that has been brought into today's culture because some people now call it the Mike Pence rule because he came out and made the same statement that he would never be alone with a woman who was not his wife under any circumstances. Some of the guys who used to work for Billy Graham and did some of his security told me that when he would go to a hotel, they would go into the elevator first and Billy Graham would not ride up in an elevator if the only other companion was a woman. He would wait till the next elevator. He'd go get a buddy, but he wouldn't walk. And they would go to his room before he checked in and go in and check his room out like they do for political people today. You say, well, isn't that kind of silly? I want to tell you, I've practiced that rule my whole life. And it's one of the ways you honor and love your wife. And I tell our guys that work for us, you know, we have a restaurant in our church now. We built a building a couple years ago and at this really cool restaurant wherever people come from the church and between services they come and eat and our staff guys have a lot of meetings there. And it would be real easy for one of our staff guys to go in there and there's some woman in his class and it wouldn't be anything wrong, but I won't let him do it. If I see you in there and you're sitting in a room and you're sitting at a table and it's just you and another woman and she's not your wife, you are in big trouble. Don't do it. And say the same thing to the women. You say, well, Pastor Jeremiah, that is so old and stale. And it's certainly not the way the world works today. You know what? I don't care. If we're going to be godly people, we're going to have to put some fences around our lives. You say, well, I'm never going to be tempted by that. Well, let me tell you what. If you don't ever do it, you'll never be tempted, right? Don't put yourself in the way of presumption. I had a guy come to me some years ago, and he was in the same situation. And he said that he was infatuated with this gal that worked next to him in their place of work. And he said, man, I tell you what, he said, Pastor, I'm trying everything. And he said, I don't know what to do. I just don't know if I'm going to be able to. I said, well, let me give you a thought. He said, What's I said, quit your job and get another one. Wow. And he goes, are you kidding me? I said, well, you can quit your job or quit your marriage. You make the choice. 
And he wouldn't do it, of course. That was a big deal for him to do that. How much do you really care about your own virtue? If you care about your virtue, there are going to be some things you don't do, some places you don't go, some situations you don't put yourself in. Why would you do that? Why would you tempt the Lord God? So I'm just here to tell you, if you want to be a virtuous person, you've got to be some rules, some routines. Otherwise, you'll just be no different than anybody else in the world because we live in a world right now where there's more temptation than there's ever been in our culture. And more, I mean, we transport it right into our homes in a little thing called the phone. And you've got to take some special action to protect yourself. If you care, you will make some rules. The disciples of Jesus seek virtue. We have to be people that build fences and set rules and establish boundaries and establish lifestyles. We have some rules for yourself and we have some rules for your internet use and standards and practices and dating and what you do when you're traveling alone on business. Through these issues, you establish guardrails for your life. Fill your heart with Jesus. Fill your mind with scripture. Fill your routines with rules. And fill your friendships with accountability. In the Bible, we're told that we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. And it's a wonderful thing when you see this in our churches. At Shadow Mountain now, we have a huge network of small groups. And I was a little bit resistant to small groups when they first became popular. But I realize now, you know, if you have a big church, you've got to grow small. And the way you grow small is through small groups. And they can hold you accountable. You can talk to each other. You can share the challenges you have. You can ask for prayer. You can ask for help. And so if you have a close friend you trust, make a pact with that friend. Hold each other accountable to live your life in a holy way. Fill your heart with Jesus. Fill your mind with Scripture. Fill your routines with rules. Fill your friendships with accountability. And fill your soul with resolve. Let me leave you with this general suggestion. Do whatever it takes. The magnetic lure of temptation is hitting all of us, including our children. It's harder than any other time in history because of the combination of sexual freedom and electronic access. But let me remind you, there was a young man once whose name was Daniel who purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And there was another young man named Joseph who ran out of Potiphar's house even as she was trying to snatch the clothes off of his body. Because he knew he was better off without his coat than without his character. And Joseph went to prison for that, but God honored him. If you think Paul and Peter and these other people are hard on sexual sin, you want to hear what Jesus' take on this is? Here you go. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. You say, did Jesus say that? He did. Did he mean it? Well, probably not exactly like it was read. But what he was saying was that don't let anything get in the way of your being the person God wants you to be. Take whatever action you have to take, but be resolved by the grace of God. I am not going to be a victim. I am a victor in Jesus Christ, and I'm going to live that way. And then we learn also in these passages that the other thing we got to do is love our faith family. You know, it's so interesting to me that when I was growing up, my father was a pastor. Everybody just had the attitude that when Sunday comes, you go to church. I mean, that's what you do. You go to church. Listen, you're not going to believe this is true. 
I pastored a church in the early 70s in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and there's a huge number of lakes all around Fort Wayne. Everybody in my church had a boat. I'm pretty sure of it. But so many of our people, they would go to the lake on Friday night, and they would stay there all Saturday, but they would drive home so they wouldn't miss church on Sunday. I live in California now, and when I tell them that, they just look at me like, you're kidding me. Nobody does that. Church used to be a priority for all of us. We used to believe that if you miss church, you're putting yourself at risk. And church now is like, you know what? In California, people go to church two out of five Sundays. Even good, godly people, they go to church two out of five Sundays. Some of the better ones go three. (laughs) When I was growing up, we went to church every week. We never missed. And it wasn't just Sunday morning. It was Sunday night and Wednesday night too. And anything else they want to throw in there. I tell everybody, I had a drug problem when I was growing up. I was drugged to church every time the door opened. (laughs) But that's the way it was. And now we've gone clear to the other extreme. Church is sort of optional. And we're missing the blessing of the church, and it's having a terrible effect upon our culture. The church was meant to be God's place of encouragement for his people, where you heard the word of God and where you were strengthened in the things of the Lord. Well, that's what I want to tell you about virtue. That's what I want us all to learn today. The Bible says, and add to your faith virtue. There's something for us to do about that. That's not going to just happen to us automatically. When you become a Christian, you don't automatically become a virtuous person. God gives you everything you need to be virtuous, but he expects you to take what he gives you and put it into practice. And all of us have assignments when it comes to that. In the last several decades, the gospel has spread to many tribal areas in Papua New Guinea, and there's a song that rings out from the new churches The words say, you don't know me, I don't know you, but Jesus brings us together. They sing that song in Papua New Guinea all the time. Of course, our love for each other isn't limited to other believers. God loves the whole world, and so do we. But here in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul is emphasizing the common magnetic love that brings us together as followers of Christ. So let me just leave this discussion with us all today. I don't know what church you go to. I hope you go to church. If you listen to Turning Points, you know I believe this passionately. Every Friday, I say to everybody, make sure you go to church on Sunday. Don't use Turning Point radio and television as an excuse to stay home. We are not your church. We can never be your church. When we go to rallies and we take an offering, I often say this. If you belong to a local church, that's where your tithe goes. Don't give us your tithe. We don't want that. That doesn't belong to us. That belongs to your church. And if you have a Christian radio station that brings Christian gospel into you, you take care of that. If you've got anything left, we'll be happy to take it. <laughs> but we have to keep our priorities straight. The church is God's priority. And men and women, we're a ministry of radio and television and all across the country and around the world. But one of my great passions is to support the church and to encourage God's people never to vacate their place in their local assembly. When you get home... Ask yourself, what is my church record like? How am I doing with my church? If you're not in a church you can fully support, get in one you can. But whatever you do, make the church a part of your life. I look around here and I see some people, you shaking your head up and down. You know what I'm talking about. If we got the church strong again, it would help all of us deal with the issues of virtue that we fight with every single week. And that's the message of the Word of God. This is possible for all of us. You know how I know that? God would never ask us to do it if it weren't possible. It's not possible in our own strength, but we have the Spirit of God who lives within us. you know what his first name is? His first name is Holy. Yeah. 
The Spirit of God's first name is holy. And if we allow Him full reign in our lives, guess what? We'll be holy too. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen is right. Moral excellence isn't something to be feared. It's something to be hungry for. The Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When we hunger for it, we usually find it. Do you have a hunger for a greater sense of virtue in your own life? That's the first step. And uh, we'll learn more about that as we continue this series. Tomorrow, mental focus. I hope you'll certainly put a, a check mark by that time on your schedule and plan to be with us then. Don't forget now, you can get your copy of the resource for the month of February. It's uh, Rob Morgan's book, The Mediterranean Sea Rules, 10 God-Given Strategies for Navigating Life's Tempestuous Sea. Are you in a storm? Do you know people that are in a storm that need some help? Well, get this book, read it, and then give it to somebody you know who's going through a tough time. This is a blessing, this book. It will add value to your life. It will remind you again of the greatness of God, and I hope you'll take advantage of the opportunity to get it during this particular month. Take some time and send your gift to Turning Point during the month of February, and when you do so, ask for The Mediterranean Sea Rules by Robert J. Morgan. And don't forget, we have a special date on our calendar for the 13th through the 20th of July in 2024. We're going to Alaska again, and this time with special guests Tony Dungy, James Brown, Daniel Jeremiah, David Todd Jeremiah, with musical guests Michael Sanchez and Uriel Vega, all of our team. Go to the website and find out more about it, and we'll see you right here tomorrow. The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. We love hearing how God uses Turning Point, so please write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Robert J. Morgan's book, The Mediterranean Sea Rules. It offers biblical tools for navigating life's storms, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also stream more than 1,200 of Dr. Jeremiah's messages on demand with our streaming service, Turning Point Plus. For a monthly gift of any amount, visit turningpointplus.org for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Everything You Need, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca study. That's davidjeremiah.ca study. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. I once heard the difference between reputation and character described this way. 
Reputation is what other people think to be true about you, while character is what you know to be true. The great man of letters, Samuel Johnson, wrote that a man would rather have a hundred lies told about him than one truth which he wished people didn't know. Well, character is everything, and our goal in life is to build an honorable character that ultimately becomes our reputation. A good starting place is David's prayer in the Psalms. Search me, O God, and know my heart, and show me if there is anything that needs changing. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's character on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.